نبينا مولانا محمد مولانا We are in Ayah 149 Surah Al-Safat Surah number 37 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فاستفتهم ألي ربك البنات ولهم البنون أم خلقنا الملائكة إناثا وهم شاهدون The uh, pagan Arabs assumed that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had daughters and his daughters were the angels so they held this belief and Allah subhanahu wa is reprimanding them here for holding such a false opinion about his creation the creation being the angels that the angels although as the surah says surah the safat that the angels are aligned in rows and ranks in order of their commission but they do not exist as male or female Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not created angels with a gender so this is what is being referenced here so you ask them stuff to him you ask them that is it that your Lord has daughters and that you have sons referring to some of the practices from some people in that society it wasn't everybody some people in that society had this taboo about having daughters as offspring so they would go out into the wilderness and bury their daughters alive some of them not all of them so the Quraysh didn't say anything against that practice they said anyone who wants to do anything is fine as long as they pay homage to us and they give us their dues at the time of uh, Hajj and the Mosul and they pay respect to the Kaaba and so on so then for them it was fine whatever anyone did was okay so Allah subhanahu is addressing that practice saying that you allow and tolerate the practice where people say human beings should not have daughters but then you say God should have daughters that is it that your Lord he should have daughters and then they should have sons so is that have you now dis- distributed the gender that the male gender is for human beings and the female gender is for the divine so this is what this is referring to here this is absurd division and distribution of Allah's creation 
that they believe and that we have created the angels inatha as females as if they were present at the time when we created the angels meaning this is false so first of all the social injustice aside the absurd distribution of gender in this world and then the idea that they know how Allah creates in the other world in the world of angels that's also absurd because they not they are not there to see how the angels are they don't see an angel they can't see an angel and they weren't there when Allah created the angels so this is absolutely absurd that they would hold these views about the angels so now it is not that they did not believe in angels they believed in angels but they had a false belief about angels and the Quran refers to that and reforms that false understanding of uh, angels so you can see that belief in angels was uh, prevalent during that time but they had no idea as to how they should believe in angels so the Quran revealed this surah to show that the angels they they form rows according to their ranks and according to their commission they have nothing to do with the the worldly distribution of uh, favors they're not even male or female that question does not arise in that world because that world is not about male or female it's about uh, spiritual abilities ala innahum min ifkihim layaqulun waladallah wa innahum lakadhibun that uh, surely it is out of the fabrication that Allah has a son walad Allah that Allah gave birth to a son وَإِنَّهُمْ لَكَاذِبُونَ indeed uh, they are liars now this referring to the Christians who believe this أَصْطَفَ الْبَنَاتِ عَلَى الْبَنِينَ مَا لَكُمْ كَيْفَ تَحْكُمُونَ أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ that are they now going to choose the uh, daughters and give preference to the daughters over the sons how is it that you have ruled uh, do you not take heed and understand that this division is absurd and so on so we see that they, they say Allah gave birth to boys in the, in the sense that they gave them boys that's one interpretation or there's an insertion of the Christian dogma also that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't need boys and he doesn't need girls so the idea that uh, this is God's family is, is now is metaphoric is not literal that the creation of Allah is Allah's family it doesn't mean that there's actually a, you know there's genesis there there's birth there no, there's no birth there Allah doesn't conceive nor is he to be conceived either way Allah is beyond that and since Allah is in no need of boys or girls these are creation of Allah independent creation of Allah there is no gender there and there is no dependency on any gender so the creation of Allah is the way he wants it to be 
and that if you do not have access to that realm, then you must rely on wahi, which you don't have. And the one who has wahi is telling you that that is not how Allah made the angels. Do you not take heed and become mindful of what Allah does? Or is it that you have an overwhelming authority, a clear authority, referring to wahi? Wahi is a sultan, it's an authority that guides you, it's an authority that reveals, it's an authority that elucidates the realities of the other world in such a way that you would not be able to do so yourselves collectively. So this is the Sultan. Sultan is a power, overwhelming power, authority. And since you don't have that authority, you must abide by the rules of the, the wahi that does come to the person who is assigned to be a Nabiyan. But you don't believe him. You say that he's a poet. You say that he's a magician. You say that he is there to divide the community and so on. So you don't believe in the Sultan that Allah has given and yet you want to assume you have Sultan over these affairs that is beyond you and beyond your mind. The Quran is now challenging the Quraysh that they should produce their proof. Produce your heavenly book, your proof, if you are indeed truthful, meaning you are not truthful, therefore you cannot produce the heavenly book, and therefore everything that you say and claim is false. And so this is a logical argument the Quran is using to disprove the false beliefs of the community. It's a methodology that ulama and scholars also use the share the same methodology when they're arguing and debating with false ideas in the community, meaning the Qur'an gives us this premise and this methodology and we follow suit and we use the same methodology. So where is the proof? Everything needs an idea in order to validate it as being universal, needs proof. And either that proof is logical rational or it is something else. If it's logical rational then everybody should agree with it but if it's not logical rational then you need a high level of proof and authority and there's nothing higher than wahi and since there's no wahi about this issue to you, none of you claim to be a nabi and if you did we'll say that you're a false imposter and so on. Anyway, this is the, the, the line of argumentation is uh, what is revealing here. The point of this revelation is to show human beings that their ability to prove something as being an absolute is invalid. And then moreover, in their practices, they have assigned and assumed kingship between Allah and between the jinn. That they say that the jinn have some relationship with the divine. Another one of their false accusations 
about the divine. So they had all of these ideas about Allah in a very, very negative connotation and also in a very false way. And they would roam around uh, the desert with these false ideas. And indeed, the jinn, uh, definitely they know that they will be brought in front of Allah on the Day of Judgment. <coughs> so the jinn that they assume has a relationship with God, those jinn know that they will be judged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. Those living in the the wilderness, living in the desert, invariably you're going to be exposed to uh, some of these um, species right? that you would hear sounds and noises uh, from a distance uh, and you might even run into one of those or bump into a few of those on your sojourns, on your journeys. Yeah. So now you'll, you'll then start to hallucinate and you'll start to fantasize and based on your hallucination and your fantasies you will then assume certain ideas and ideals to be aqidah and to be your theory of reality which is what is mentioned here that they assume that the jinn had this kind of close relationship with Allah and God but the jinn themselves knew that they don't have this relationship because they are also questioned by Allah on the day of judgment. Subhanallah Amma Yusifun Illa Ibadullah Mukhlasin. Subhanallah. Allah is highly exalted above all such accusations and false allegations, anything that they describe him with. Amma Yusifun. So whatever they describe and associate Allah with Allah is above all of that. Allah is not impeded or handicapped by their false accusations. Allah remains Allah above all and independent of all. He doesn't need daughters, he doesn't need sons, and he doesn't need anyone. He is the way he is. Except those who are now <coughs> the servants of Allah and those who are purified. Mukhlasin. Allah appreciates the servants of Allah who are mukhlasin, they are purified and they are made pure. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive in them even if they do make a mistake or uh, commit a sin. So the point of the universe is that the people in the universe must worship Allah and those who worship Allah, if they go through a process of life, they will purify themselves and eventually they'll reach a rank when they will be purified by Allah Himself. Okay, so the two-step process. One is you purify yourself so that you become close to Allah. When you become close to Allah, Allah will purify you. Referring to the Prophets. This is referring to the Prophets now. Whom does Allah choose? Allah chooses Ibadullah, his servants, those who serve him. Those who serve him, they do what Allah wants them to do. That is the process of them purifying themselves. Self-reformation, self-purification. 
when they become uh, so adept uh, to doing things for the sake of Allah, Allah then takes over and He starts to purify them. And had He chooses them to receive His message, and then He gives them the authority, the Sultan, the Wahi, by which they inform others. So this discussion is about whom does Allah choose? So Allah chose the angels as His daughters according to the pagans, some of the pagans. And Allah gave us sons so that we would be able to choose sons in this world who will rep represent us and inherit our authority on earth. So the angels inherit God's authority in the heavens and their sons inherit their authority on earth. This is a distribution in their minds. So Allah says, no, that is not how Allah gives his uh, divine authority. Divine authority is given to those who serve him, not those who serve you. Right? So it's not a secular-based discussion where you say that based on a person's uh, utility, a person should be appointed or selected by the divine. So the divine selection is independent of human selection. The divine doesn't go with that order. Human beings may pick and choose and elect and select or nominate and vote in people uh, for their uh, authority and their leadership and governance and being a chief of the tribe, whether this tribe is based on nepotism or whatever. It doesn't matter. Whichever method and mode of selection you have where you're going to appoint people, to rule over you, govern you, uh, that is one. The other is, how does the divine select? So they assume that the divine selects the way they select. So Allah says, no. Illa ibadullah, except my servants. Uh, ibad. Now who are these servants? These servants worship Allah and they serve Him. After a while, as they serve Allah with sincerity and ikhlas, Allah then chooses them and now they become selected. Mukhlas. As they are selected, they're given a sultan, an authority, which is wahi. And through that wahi they inform. That's how that world works. This is how the ranking of human beings work with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. So this is what the discussion is about. But this is how you see Allah taking people. That yes, <coughs> in the world of angels, there are rows, they're in rows and columns, and then in platoons and in ranks according to their commission, according to their job description. In the world, you choose people the way you want to choose, and you choose them to rule you and govern you. The two orders don't cross over, they don't overlap. One order is human, the other order is the order of angels. Now, if there's going to be a cross-reference to both orders, that has to be judged by Allah, not by human beings. So Allah then judges these servants of Allah to rule over human beings in the sense of nabuwa and prophethood, and that is their sultan. That is their authority. 
So the highest authority that a human being has over human beings is the authority of Nabuwa, prophethood, not the authority of governance. Right? Because the Nabi will tell human beings, if you believe this, Allah will forgive you. And if you believe this, Allah will not forgive you. That is a much higher authority than the authority of a governor, of government, where the government still say, if you believe this, you're okay, and if you don't believe this, you'll go to jail, or you'll die. What are the two? That does not include salvation, because salvation is after death. Salvation is not in this world. So the authority of a Nabi over his people is authority that extends after death. Also, yeah, this is how you now see the ranking of the angels being now presented in the surah so that people know Allah is the one who chooses the angels but the angels don't come down and give you authority unless Allah wants them to. فَإِنَّكُمْ وَمَا تَعْبُدُونَ مَا أَنْتُمْ عَلَيْهِ بِفَاتِنِينَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now informing human beings that whatever you and that which you uh, worship, you cannot bring anything from Allah. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot do anything for any soul against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's will. There is no authority that Allah has given you, nor your idols nor the jinn if you worship the jinn, nor the angels if you assume the angels to be Allah's daughters and so on. You're not able to influence Allah in any way, shape or form. This is the meaning of this ayah. Ma antum alayhi fatinin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given that authority to you, nor to the idols, nor to anything else that you worship besides Allah. However, except the one who is already destined uh, to burn in hell, then that you may influence in a negative way, that you may cause him to burn more, not to burn less. So here we see Allah subhanahu stripping human beings of any authority about salvation. So the, the idea is about salvation on the Day of Judgment and after the Day of Judgment that the issue of salvation is not in the hands of human beings. Human beings cannot decide through experience or subjective uh, understandings of the universe, no matter how ingenious those understandings may be, and decide the fate of human beings after they die. And that's very presumptuous of human beings to assume that they can play God after people die. So a Nabi doesn't play God, a Nabi informs people that this is what's going to happen and therefore he's an informer, he is a warner and he is a giver of glad tidings. This is how Nabuwa works and the way you work is that you want to assume you have authority over human beings, which is what people do nowadays also through money and through education and through institutions and through organizations and through political parties and through the lobbies and through the government and all of that because everybody wants to influence everyone else in some way shape or form 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the ultimate influence is the influence of whether or not you're going to be in Jannah. That's the ultimate influence. So neither you nor what you worship is going to be able to influence any on the Day of Judgment in front of Allah. وَمَا مِنَّا إِلَّا لَهُ وَقَامٌ مَعْلُومٌ And here, this is the, these are the words of the angels that the Qur'an is reporting. The angels announce in the heavens that there is none amongst us except that he has a designated station, a pre-assigned station. Their station is fixed. They don't move from that maqam and station. They have a commission and they have orders to fulfill the commission and that's the only thing they do. They do not cross over into the commission of another group of angels. They don't override and they don't <coughs> underplay their roles. They do what they are asked to do. So it's a very organized system, huge network of angels in different ranks and they do what on whatever Allah uh, assigns them to do. So they have assignments as individuals, but those individuals are grouped. They're ranked into columns and platoons, and they stand in rows, as I've said uh, previously. So their roles are made up. The, there are those who carry the throne of Allah. That's one rank, right? Those who carry the throne of Allah. They're called Hamalatul Arsh, the throne carriers. They're way up there in the heavens. And then there are those who are closer to Allah, even closer than the angels who carry Allah's throne. And there are angels who are commissioned to come to earth and deliver Allah's message to prophets, like Jibreel. That's a rank, that's a maqam. So that's, Jibreel will come to do that. He will not come to do anything else. That's his role. So he is a person who is very, very high up there in the hierarchy of angels. And there are angels who will then just be in the heavens and they are assigned to worship Allah all the time. Some are in constant ruku, some are in constant sajda, some are in constant tasbih saying subhanallah some do whatever Allah wants them to do they will never come down to earth then there are angels who now make tawaf around uh, the al-baytul ma'mur the Kaaba in the heavens they go around that once 70,000 of them and once they have made tawaf they will not repeat the tawaf until the day of judgment so every, every day there are 70,000 new angels who make tawaf around that house which is in the heavens, which is immediately above the Kaaba on earth. So that's another group. So we find from the Hadith and the Sunnah so many different groups of angels that exist purely in the heavens. And that's their, their abode in the first heaven, second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, then the kursi, then around the kursi, then, then towards the arsh, and around the arsh, and so on. And there are some who are underneath, and they're assigned here in the Malay Asfal, 
the lower counts of angels, and they usually are those who manage the affairs of this universe, and they come down to earth, and they govern some of the affairs of the earth, and so on. That's also in hadith, we find all of these details in hadith. Then you have the other three angels, Mikail, as you know, the angel who's assigned for rizq, and then the angel who is assigned to blow the trumpet, Israfil, and then the angel of death that the Quran speaks of, Malakul Maut, so that he has his commission and he will not interfere with the commission of other angels and so on. So he's assigned to pull out the ruh from human beings and other species also. That's his job. So now the, these are assignments, meaning there's another world there which is underneath or above this world or both. And we don't have access to that knowledge except through wahi. Our minds are not able to reflect this. Our minds are not able to perceive this. Our minds are not able to conceive this. This is beyond us. It is beyond our rationale. And that is the sultan, the authority that prophets give to human beings. Under the authority of wahi, I am informing you of this. And I'm showing you this, how uh, the holistic reality of the universe works. So that's now this ayah saying, وَمَا مِنَّا إِلَّا لَهُ مَقَامُ مَعْلُونَ There is no one from us except that he has a designated, assigned station, a post, a commission, and they will not leave their post or commission until the day of judgment. This is how Muslims see the universe. Now this is not physics. <laughs> it's not astronomy that you're going to get a telescope and say, okay, let's find the angels. You understand? So if you go into the, the Quran speaks about physics and the, you know, the, 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 the black holes and the Big Bang. And, well, yeah, right. <laughs> the Quran is a book of guidance. Some points, obviously, because Allah is the creator, he's going to mention a few things about the reality of his creation. That's fine with that. If science coincides with it, fine. And if science doesn't coincide with it, that's fine too. But the uh, judge is the Qur'an. Wahi is the sultan, the authority that gives you this knowledge. So once you understand this as aqidah, then you're okay. There's nothing to worry about. So the idea is, does anything exist in the heavens? Is there any life outside of planet Earth? Of course there's life. Angels live there. That's your aqidah. But if you make it a scientific idea, then obviously you're going to kufr. We're looking for life outside of the planet. Baba, the Quran, Hadith tells you there's life out there. Why are you wasting billions of dollars to find life? It's already there. You won't see it. You won't perceive it. You won't hear them. But life definitely exists because angels are very much alive. Right? They have to be alive to perform their duties. They're not robots, they're alive. <coughs> yeah. So we see that the Quran is now developing in the mind of the reader this world view about the universe, that the universe must be extended to the world of angels. <coughs> not just the physical world that we may see or perceive through telescopes and through our equations and our science and our mathematics and our physics. 
it goes much, much beyond all of that. And this is how Muslims always saw the universe. And they saw angels who were definitely part of their existence and their reality. When Muslims see them as part of their existence and reality, then they will behave in such a way that they will not uh, uh, unduly influence angels in the wrong way. Right? Yeah, the, the world of angels is very mathematical. Okay, that is a given. So if you unduly influence angels in the wrong way, then a certain effect may become now uh, overridden and you can overturn that effect and so on. This is where the amal, the actions of Bani Adam, the children of Adam come into play. That actions will decide the fate of human existence on earth. It's a spiritual component which is what prophets came to bring. That if there is zina that is rampant on earth, the prophet said, then there will be many forms of geographical disasters. So he coupled human action with what happens on earth, the spiritual component. So now, now you, you can't quantify this in terms of science. Science doesn't do that. It's not about this. It's about how the holistic understanding of how the universe is, is, is operated. So the angels see that Muslims or people are behaving in a good way, so their mandate will be this. And if the angels see that they're not behaving this way, then their mandate will be that. And so this is, as I said, is very mathematical. So human beings must perform and behave in order for good things to happen on Earth. That is called climate control. That's what's called climate control. You control the climate because of your actions. Not because of, obviously, the pollution aside and the ecology aside and the, you know, the, the whatever, industries aside. We're not talking about that. That's, that's not the environment that we're talking about. I'm talking about the overall <coughs> cosmological environment of the universe, which is governed by human action. And obviously, human action, when it goes overboard with the industries and the smog, uh, the pollution, then that's also human action. Human action is doing what it's not supposed to do with the climate. That's just part of the equation. That's not the whole equation. Mm. So now the Quran gives us the whole equation. Angels are there and they have their own specific ranks and they have their own specific commission. Some will uh, engage in the affairs of this world and some are reserved for the affairs of the other world. Then you have angels in the grave. There's an angel who comes prenatal, delivers the soul into the mother's womb. That's prenatal. <coughs> and then you have angels post-death, uh, post-mortem. That post-mortem angel, they come to the grave. So they have angels in the grave also. That's another dimension. Then you have angels on the Day of Judgment who will be at every station on the Day of Judgment. They'll be there giving you your book of deeds. And then they'll be at the Mizan where the scales, uh, the actions will be weighed, and the scales, the angels will be there. The angels will be there on the jasr, the, the bridge. The angels will be there at the time of Haldi Kothar and Jannah. And there will be angels also in hell. The angels in hell too. Right? Even there, they're commissioned. <laughs> so the angels are everywhere. 
this, 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 this magnificent, totally, absolutely mind-boggling picture that a Nabi gives of this holistic existence. Okay? It is immeasurable in its uh, ingenious imagination. You can't conceive of this. It's only the mind of a Nabi that can give you this holistic picture of human existence. And, um, and it's very creative because it comes from the Creator. Indeed, we are all together ranked in rows. We're all in rows, we're in columns and platoons, and we are organized like armies are organized, and so on. So there's thousands and thousands of angels that are up there with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And indeed, we all, all of us, are in the mode and mood of tasbih exalting Allah in everything that we do and sometimes also physically meaning literally in tasbih saying subhanallah but I think this includes not just the literal meaning of tasbih it also includes the metaphoric meaning of tasbih it's a holistic ayah which talks about that the idea that every angel is in the worship of Allah every angel is in the job description that Allah has posted him uh, to, to be at. This is the idea of tasbih in the other part of the universe that is not uh, open to us. We cannot see this through the naked eye. It has been hidden away from us for good reason. Yeah, we do not see this world, but we know of it because of our iman and our faith and so on. So the angels are definitely always in a, in, a, in a perpetual mode of ibadah and tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is how we as Muslims see the order of that world. So the Quran presents a whole surah to discuss the order of angels. But in the interim, the Quran then mentions the order of the people of Jannah and the people of Jahannam, where there's a dialogue and a conversation. And then it brings down to earth the order and rankings of, of uh, the prophets, والسلام, almost in a chronological sense in this surah, with Nuh, والسلام, then Ibrahim, والسلام, then Ismail, والسلام, then Ishaq, والسلام, then Musa, and Harun, والسلام, and then Ilyas, and then Yunus, uh, Lut, and then Yunus. So the, these prophets are mentioned to show that prophets have ranks also just like angels have ranks and just as angels are commissioned to do certain work likewise prophets are chosen to represent Allah in certain communities so that those communities are now given guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about the other world inshallah we'll stop here and then continue with this the next time we meet Hopefully next week. Jazakallah. Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah. Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka.